Welcome. As you take your seat, we are going to be continuing on in our story in, in, in the book of Exodus and this kind of study about Moses and, and what God does through him. So turn, if you will. We're going to spend most of our time in Exodus chapter 14 and 15. We're going to spend a little bit of time prepping to get there, but we're going to spend most of our time there. So if you'll make your way there. I want us to continue this, this thing that we've been doing where we, we take a look at what God is doing through the person of Moses and, and what Moses represents and what he is doing on behalf of God. I also want us to, to be able to answer the question this morning, man, what does this tell us about the character of God and, and what God will ultimately do through Jesus one day? And then the last thing I want us to hopefully answer by the time we get done this morning is, what do we do? How do we respond? What do we do with the truth that, that I hope we will unpack this morning? So if you have been with us, then I'm super glad you're back and, and you know that we've been walking through this story in Exodus. And last week we talked about the last plague and we talked about the Passover. The week before that we had covered the first nine plagues and, and what God was doing to Pharaoh through Moses, through this people of Israel and how he would bring them out. And so what I want to do is I want to start, I'm actually going to read Exodus chapter 12 verse 31 just to get us in the context of where we're at. So verse 31, he summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. This was Pharaoh speaking. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country. For they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them whatever they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. It is wild to me to see here that Pharaoh himself has now given them the instruction to do what? Go out and worship their God. Go out and do what you were actually literally created to do. Probably the most powerful man in the world at this time. One of, if not the richest person in the world at this time. Just told his entire workforce, go out from away from me and worship your God. That's what God has done. It is crazy though when we, when we sit here and we think of what God had to do to get Pharaoh to this point. We, we've already went through all of the plagues. I'm not going to recount all of them, but, but I do just want us to realize how big of a deal it is that they're now literally walking out. Pharaoh has declared them free. God has declared them free, not under his bondage anymore. Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road in the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their mind and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the, end, uh, left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. And then you must take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud 
to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire at night to give them light at night so that they could travel by day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. God actually acknowledges here to Moses that this people is not ready to go to war. (laughs) He says, look, I could send you straight to the Philistines so that you could go ahead and go start taking the land that's yours, but this people's not ready for war. And as you can imagine, these people have lived their entire life and more than likely the generation before them in slavery to the Egyptians. They're not ready mentally to go to war. Even after seeing all that God has done in these plagues, To bring Pharaoh to this point, he says, they're not ready for this. So I'm not going to send you that way. Actually, I'm going to send you to the Red Sea. And it's really, it's really funny, right? God doesn't just send them just kind of blindly. He actually has to send them with this pillar, right? And obviously the pillar is a display of God's presence with them, but also just from a practical level, how many of these Israelites do you think had ever left like Egypt proper? None. Moses might be the only one Because if anybody left, they never came back. Because if they did, they would have been killed. They were slaves. They didn't get to go on road trips. So there is like this, there is this presence of God that's with them that is, that is obviously for comfort and for, for, for knowing that this really is the presence of God. And there's also just this practical nature of somebody got to tell them where to go. They literally don't even know what direction to go more than likely. And so God sends them the pillar to be with them by day and by night so that any move that they make, they have a direction, a guide. They, they have the, the spirit with them so that they would know where to go. Here's the crazy part. God continues to kind of give Moses these different pieces and we're gonna read it in chapter 14, but, but God acknowledges the place that the people are at and he, and he sends them towards the Red Sea, which doesn't make a lot of sense either if, if we were just being tactical here right? Like the tactical thing would not be go that direction either. And we're going to see why here in chapter 14. So pick up with me in verse one of chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pahahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Belzephon facing it by the sea. They will, will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Here's here's one of the things I want us to recognize before we keep going. Look, God has been, number one, acknowledging the fact that the, the Israelites aren't ready for war. He's also acknowledging the fact they don't know where they're going and providing a practical, like tangible way for them to move. And he's also literally giving them every single detail along the way of what is happening and what's going to happen. He doesn't always act this way. He doesn't always communicate like this up front. But in this situation, he does. And you can imagine why. He's got a delicate people right now. He's being kind and gracious to them, giving them literal steps along the way because they have been in bondage their entire life. And now they're having to walk out of here, not knowing at all how to get started or what to do. And so he is, he is babying them, if you will, along the way, giving them every single thing that he's going to do. And as you can imagine, Pharaoh, all of a sudden, when they actually get out from under him, he has another uh, thought. And he goes, oh, no, I just lost all of our workforce that would actually allow us to keep on doing what we want to do. What do we do now? 
Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and he took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pahahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you would happen? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. I've got a question for you. How many people in here are, um, are theme park people? Anybody? Okay, how many people are like definitely not theme park people? Okay, how many of you are like somewhere in the middle? Like you're like, oh, I don't dislike them, but I don't love them. All right, everybody that didn't answer me, do you just not know they exist? Like what, where are you at? All right, I hope you at least know they exist. So, okay, for my theme park people, or maybe even my, my kind of on the fence people, are you Disney people? Disney World, Disneyland, okay. Are you Six Flags people? Wow, I'm actually surprised. Any Dollywood folk? <laughs> Dadgummit, Chad's not here to like... Be my, be my, I don't know, other person of Dollywood. Right? Okay, so no Dollywood. What, any other ones? Am I missing some? Universal? Okay. I count that as Disney. They're like next to each other. I shouldn't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad words. Bad words. Hey, so, okay, now let me ask this. Who in here is a roller coaster person? Okay, you were not theme park people, but now you're roller coaster people. That doesn't make sense. Okay, who is definitely not a roller coaster person? All right. Now, my middle ground people. Anybody like, well, yes, I like them, but also, mm, any of those? Okay, I see a few. Good. Okay, here's what I want us to think about for a minute. It is so funny to me to watch this go down, right? People pay all kinds of money to go get in these theme parks. They wake up at ridiculous hours in the morning so that they can get in the park at the right time. They get to the park. They have stressed themselves out to the max to make sure that they schedule out their day the right way so that they can get to the places they want to get. And then what do they do? They go stand in line at this roller coaster, right? And when you stand in line, what are your options? What can you do? Well, you can talk with somebody else if you know anybody else in line. You can look at your phone. But most of the time, you spend that time doing what? You watch it go, right? You watch the people in front of you get on and they ride. And then what do you do? Well, you watch it go again and again and again and again. And you stand in line for who knows how long, right? Finally, 
It's been an hour and a half. It's been two hours if it's the good ride, right? And you step up and it's your turn to get on the roller coaster. You go, you walk in, you sit down. And everybody's seen somebody do this. No, 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 never mind. I don't want to do this. No, no, I'm going back. Nope, nope, nope. I'm out. I'm out. Get me out of this. I don't want it. And they stop the whole ride to let them get off because they just cannot do this. There's no way I'm going to ride this ride. I do not trust this thing. I'm going to fall out. This ride is literally going to kill me. You just spent two hours in this line watching people ride it over and over and over again and nobody's died. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. I'm so sorry. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. God has done miraculous things in front of them. God has literally taken them who were slaves, who were being mistreated, taken advantage of, and said, I can't have that any longer. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. And oh boy, does he do something. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, you're going to let my people go, right? He sends Moses to do this, to mediate between him and the people and him and Pharaoh. And then he begins to go through all of these plagues, doing things that, that, that literally brought that literally brought the most powerful man on the earth probably at that point, or at least one of the most powerful, probably the richest man on earth at the time, to the point where he would say, just get out. That's what God did. He, he brought flies. He brought locusts. He brought frogs. He gave them boils, like the thing that they thought they could control. I at least got good skin, right? Nope. <laughs> Your water. Nope, it's blood now. Until finally, he literally takes the firstborn son. God has done mighty things in order to get them to the point where they would come out of Egypt and be sent on their way. And all of a sudden, at the first sign of distress, what do the Israelites say? We want out. I, I, no, 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 no. I'm not on this ride any longer. Send me back. I'd rather be a slave in Egypt God is just going to let me die in the wilderness. I don't want this. Wait, what? You, 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 you think God is going to abandon you now? You, you think that he's not going to see this through now? It is so funny when I think and I watch people spend all time and energy to get to the ride and then back out. That ride was built for what? For man, their thrill and excitement and joy that they would get to enjoy and, and, and go on this fun ride. God built these people to go and to worship him. And they're being invited into that. And yet their response is, send me back into slavery. Moses' response is beautiful. Stand firm, be quiet. The Lord will fight for you. He intercedes for the people and he reminds them, stop, be quiet, watch what God will do. God's plan begins to unfold. God tells Moses here in chapter 14, verse 15 through 18, which we're about to read. 
He tells him to break camp. What are you even doing still here? Break camp and hold up this staff. So join me in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God tells Moses to raise up this staff and to split the sea so that his people can walk through. And he actually takes that pillar that had been guiding and, 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 and directing them and giving them like some kind of peace and comfort and he moves it from out in front to behind as some sort of barrier between the people of Israel and the, uh, and the Egyptians. And it says nobody would cross. Moses lifts up his arm. He, he literally splits the sea. And up to this point, I just want us to think for a minute about the things that we've seen happen so far. All of the, all of the plagues that God brought, all of these very grand displays of power that God does through the plagues, right? At that point, he was taking, he was taking things that the, Egypt, the, the Egyptians thought they had under control, and he was creating chaos for them, right? You think you got the bug problem under control. No, you don't. And God creates chaos for them. You think you got the frogs licked. No, they got you licked. You, you, you think you got your skin care down. No. You think you've got water and, and it's safe and stable and good. And God creates chaos in, in where the Egyptians thought they had order and control. Taking of the firstborn son again creating this, 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 this realization for the Egyptians and, and really for the people of Israel that they don't actually have control of those things. But here, God does something different. He takes that, the sea, which nobody thought they had control of. Everybody knew better than to go out into the deep of the sea. In fact, everybody was always apprehensive and nervous about when it came to big bodies of water and rightfully so still to this day I hope you are because if not like what are you doing you don't go out into the middle of the sea without thinking really long and hard about it and having a game plan because that sea is chaotic and it is deep and it's uncontrollable and God says lift up your staff I'm going to split the sea I'm going to bring that which is chaotic and uncontrollable. I'm going to control it. I'm going to make a wall on your right. I'm going to make a wall on your left. And you're going to walk through on dry ground. And so God takes that which was out of order and which was chaotic and that which could not be controlled. And he says, no, no, no. I can control this. I'm going to do this to rescue my people. So sure enough, Moses does. The walls go up on the sides. It says a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And his people walk through. And just as God had already said, guess what? Pharaoh is stubborn. He has a hard heart. And he says, go after them. The Egyptians begin to chase in after. They get in the middle. And, and depending on what translation you've got, either their wills got stuck 
or they swerved or they fell off or they got stuck something but they are stuck right in the middle and God says to Moses right after all of his people are clear turn around and raise your hand again and the waves come crashing down God went to great lengths to display his glory, but to rescue and redeem his people. God told his people, you'll never have to see these Egyptians again. We're going we're gonna to read chapter 15, but before we actually just read it, I, I want to just talk about it for a minute. I, I love chapter 15. Um, I, think it's, I think it's fun, but what is it? Chapter 15 is literally the song that they sing after they get out onto the other side. Because they have been brought to this point where they don't know what else to do but to cry out in worship in song of an awesome God who has rescued them, who has displayed his power and is taking care of those that have mistreated them for generations. And so this is, or this is the Israelites' response Pick up with me in verse one. We're going to read this whole song. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. The currents stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. When the peoples hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm until your people pass by. Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The people of Israel sing out in praise to God. They have seen him do mighty works and do mighty works and go to great lengths 
so that they could be rescued. Like, it's not like this was just a power trip just for power trip's sake, although he could if he wanted to. He went to these great lengths to display his power, but to rescue and redeem this people. The Israelites don't know what else to do other than sing songs of praise. They were so blown away at God's power and care for them that they cried out in worship. In fact, the next little section, we see Miriam actually repeat the song. But it says that she went out with tambourine and brought all the women with her. And they sang and they danced. She was teaching this song to all the women so that every single household would sing this song of praise to God, remembering what God had done. They wanted to remember what God had done for them for forever. God Man, rescuing the Israelites, taking them from slave to free, bringing them from death to life. Moses being mediator, going back and forth between Israel and between God and between Pharaoh and between God. Man, and then Moses stretching out his right hand and God's power dividing the sea so they could walk through. Man, we get to rejoice this morning God will go to whatever length in order to rescue and redeem his people. We get to understand that even better than they did that day because we know what God ultimately did. God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus, son, to come live a perfect life, to mediate, to rescue. And he went to extreme lengths in order to, to be the lamb that we needed in order to be the sacrifice. He went to the length of literally going to the cross as a sacrifice for us. He displayed his power on the way. He did all that so that he could rescue us and so that we could actually be in right standing with him. Here's the crazy part. The Israelites fall back into this um, pattern again. This is not unique. This is not... Uh, something that all of a sudden they're just not guilty of. If I had my guess, even those of you in the room that are believers fall victim to this too. We have been saved. We have seen God's power displayed, but yet there are times when we resort back to a mentality of we are slaves to sin. We don't actually believe that we've been saved from sin. We don't actually believe that we have the power of the Holy Spirit literally in us. We don't believe that the God that can split the seas rescued and redeemed us through Jesus. See, God continues on and it's not that long before the Israelites begin to cry out and say, ah, we don't have water, we don't have food. And what does God do? God yet again provides. This time he provides, he says, look, I'm gonna give you manna. If you've, if you've been in church for, for any amount of time, you've probably heard about the manna, but if not, Hang with me for just a minute. He tells them, look, I'm going to provide manna every morning like dew on the ground. And you're going to be able to go, go out and get it, but only take one day's worth. One day a week, you can take two so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath. But every other day, you're going to wake up and it's going to be there and I'm going to provide for you. Don't take more. Trust me each and every day. When they tried to take more, guess what? It rotted. It stunk. It was not worth it. 
And God was creating in them yet another reminder of their daily need for him. God gave them the Passover. Last week we talked about it. Why? So that they would each and every year come back and be reminded of God's display of power and of his care for them. God gave them the song of Moses here. Why? So that they would sing out loud, reminding themselves, declaring out loud to to themselves and to one another, to, to remind themselves of God's power and to remind themselves of God's provision for their life. So this week, one of the things we're gonna do next is we're gonna come to the table together. And guess what? We are reminding ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross. We are coming to to remind ourselves of the bread of life that came in Jesus and how his body was broken and his blood was poured out. And so as you come this morning and take communion, come humble, reminded that God sent Jesus to rescue you and redeem you even when you were grumbling and complaining. Come thankful, rejoicing in the fact that we have a God that is powerful enough to save even me. If you're not a believer in the room, please don't take. We are declaring by taking this that we believe that Jesus' body really was broken and his blood was poured out and that that sacrifice is the hope that we have. And so if you don't believe that, don't take. If you're not a believer in the room, but you go, man, I, I, I want to be, or, or, or maybe you're going, man, I think I do believe. Come talk with me. I'll grab an extra cup and an extra cracker or extra piece of bread, and we can talk about it. I would love to take communion with you for the first time this morning. But don't take if you're not a believer. So this morning, church, as we continue in worship, sing loud rejoicing in the power of God and what he has done, being reminded of his awesome display of power and taking that which is chaotic and uncontrollable and literally making walls and letting these people walk through on dry ground to rescue and redeem, seeing loud, rejoicing the fact that Jesus came and he went to the cross on your behalf so that he could mediate, so that he could intercede on your behalf, so that he could atone for your sins so that he could rescue and redeem those who would believe in him. God, we come to you this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus. I'm so thankful that there's nothing in this world that doesn't ultimately submit to your authority. And that, that God, your power is unmatched by any person, by anything. And God, you would choose to use that power to go to great lengths in order to, to make a way for salvation for anyone who would believe. God, I pray that you would remind our hearts this morning of your power and of your goodness and of your grace and mercy. I pray that you would remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and that we can have hope and and be confident in what he's done. And that, man, all the other distractions and things that would cause us to grumble and complain, Lord, I pray that we would sing out this morning reminding ourselves of your goodness and how you love us and how you take care of us and how you're going to make a way. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name.